Welcome to the Data Center of the Future podcast series. I'm Jeff Johnson. If you're like me, you like your computer to be wireless, and you have lots of other wireless devices. But what you might not know are that there are different kinds of wireless. For example, do you know the difference between Bluetooth and Wi-Fi? Do you know the difference between wireless WAN and ultra-wideband? Today we're going to have an overview of these kinds of technologies, sort of a wireless 101, if you will. We're here with Kirk Nybert and Alan Seeker, Global Product Managers for Wireless Technologies at Dell. Welcome, guys. Hello. Thank you. It's good to be here. So let's get started with the first question. Why are we talking about wireless in the first place? Wireless provides a lot of benefits to computing. It provides an opportunity to simplify the way people interact with their PC, gives them flexibility to move around and stay connected wherever they are. We see a general trend towards mobility. We see a general trend towards moving around the house, moving around within the workplace, and we we see benefits by allowing people to untether the peripherals, untether their connections to mobile devices, So wireless presents a lot of benefits. And this probably follows the trend of more and more workers working at home rather than in offices, too. It provides that flexibility for people to stay connected when they're at home, be able to connect into the office, into their uh, exchange server or their email account, and uh, it allows them to essentially time shift a lot of their work patterns. So whenever they have some downtime, they're able to use that downtime to get things done, essentially. Yeah, and think about a a remote salesperson who spends most of his day out on the road. Historically, before we had the ability to connect back to the corporate networks in a ubiquitous manner, this guy or gal would have to wait until the end of the day, go back to the office, log on, upload all the pertinent files, you know, add one hour, two hours to the day. Now you have the ability with this, you know, wireless anytime, anywhere communications to be able to do that real-time communication while you're out in the field and enhances the productivity of the workers who are, who are using the technology. And the responsiveness. I think like most listeners, I'm probably a little confused about all the different kinds of wireless that there are. I mean, you see advertising, you get some through your company. So what are the different flavors of wireless that we should know about? Well, one way to kind of categorize wireless is according to their usage model or according to the range that they provide. What we do is we tend to divide wireless technologies essentially into three major buckets. The first bucket is personal area networking wireless. This is wireless that is principally focused around eliminating cables close to the computer or close to their mobile devices. So it would be used for peripheral connections. It would be used for connections to their cell phone, their PDA, their MP3 player, just eliminating all that cable clutter between these devices. It also provides a number of ease-of-use improvements because now they don't have to spend time connecting up cables. The second type of wireless category that we focus on is local area networking wireless. Wireless that covers a house, covers a cafe, a convention center perhaps, and office buildings or... A hotel maybe. A hotel, for example. That, that's a very good example. And the third classification of wireless is wide area wireless. These are technologies that cover broad areas like cities, metros, and even scale up to you know, nationwide coverage, 
coverage that you can maybe rely on as you're you're going from one place to the next, going down the highway on a train or, or something like that? Yeah, essentially in, in the wide area scenario, you're using service provider or carrier networks to connect wirelessly. Yeah, so those tend to be uh, carrier networks that are managed and controlled and very often have subscription. Let's do a little bit of a uh, deep dive on the first one, the personal area network. Um, I think a lot of people, probably most consumers, have a little bit more experience with this. So tell us a little bit about what the different technologies are and, and how they work. The most tangible example, I think, today of personal area networking, wireless, is, is really Bluetooth. Today, you can find quite a number of cell phones, actually most cell phones, that will support Bluetooth. And you can use a wireless headset with those cell phones. The same concept applies in using Bluetooth in a personal computer. You can use it for a mouse, a keyboard. You can use it to synchronize your contacts or calendar information with your PDA or your cell phone. So is the range really short? So the range tends to be about 10 meters, about 30 feet. So it's intended primarily in room, but it can go a little bit farther in some some situations. It's very low power, and it tends to be fairly optimized for things that are battery-constrained devices. Another type of, uh, a new type of short-range wireless is called ultra-wideband. So it's, it's a brand-new technology that is just now starting to get some traction in a few market segments. But the main flavor of that is called wireless USB. The usage model would be where you have your set of wired peripherals sitting on a desk that would connect into, a say, a wireless USB hub, and you, you bring your, your notebook into your office space, and it would immediately recognize and connect to all your wired USB peripherals through that hub. So it's a very convenient thing if you're going from one desk to the next or, or one office to the next. So it seems like personal area network is all about short range and cable replacement. Yes. So, so let's talk about local area wireless. How is that different? Local area wireless is intended to be a premise wireless networking technology. So it's, it's intended to focus on getting you onto a network without having to connect in an Ethernet cable into the back of a notebook or, you know, tether yourself up to a broadband modem. Typically what local area wireless involves is putting in an access point or a wireless router, and it would cover broad areas several, maybe 100 meters across, 300 feet in circumference. It's really intended for covering your house, Again, you know, you might have several access points within a, a office building that would provide this blanket of coverage. Now, it tends to be typically deployed and operated by the people that own the buildings, and it doesn't involve usually a subscription model to it. However, there are a variety of locations that you can go through, like bookstores, cafes, where there's um, service that you can pay for and get onto those networks. Yeah, like they have them at Starbucks. Like Starbucks is a good example. Borders, Kinko's, places like that. There's a couple of different flavors of wireless LAN worth mentioning. The first one that gained a lot of traction was called 802.11b. It supported 11 megabits per second. Then it was replaced by something called 802.11g, which supports peak data rates of 54 megabits per second, and we're just starting to see the emergence of something called 802.11n, which will, you know, eventually scale up to 450 megabits per second, so very fast, 
and it provides a very practical replacement for wired Ethernet. All of these are kind of grouped together under a name called Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi organization provides interoperability testing. The last point to make about this is that Wi-Fi does have the toolkit available to secure the wireless network. It provides authentication and encryption so that you can restrict who gets onto the network and ability for people to capture and, and see the data going across the airwaves. Okay, so it seems like this is connectivity to the Internet wirelessly in a relatively small area mm -hmm. as opposed to the personal networking, which is connecting to devices. So let's talk about the third area, which is wide area wireless. This one seems the most interesting, particularly, I would think, in countries where you're going from country to country. So tell us a little bit about that. Wide area networking is very interesting, and, and particularly from a wireless standpoint, you know, as Alan walked you through the benefits of a wireless local area network and, and the, the freedom to connect without having to tether. Now think about that concept, but now to have the ability to add freedom to that and being able to essentially go wherever you want you're not limited to a, your, your home environment or to a hotspot environment, but now truly, because it rides on the carrier cellular networks, you have the ability to, to take your notebook, get connectivity pretty much anywhere you can get a cell phone signal. Think about it like we've taken cell phone technology that, that everybody uses and is familiar with for voice communications, and we've integrated that into the notebook for data communications. So now, again, wherever you can get a cell phone signal, now you're able to get high-speed data communications on your notebook. Let's compare and contrast personal area and local area and wide area a little bit. I mean, obviously, there must be huge differences in cost, and there must be real different usage models, too. Let's talk a little bit about them. Let's take a few different uh, aspects and compare them side by side. So let's, let's take first uh, the cost of service. Bluetooth is free. You basically just use the technology and you use the radio channel, and you don't have to pay anyone for that. Wi-Fi tends to be mostly free, but as we noted, that there's a couple locations, a couple venues like cafes and convention centers that will let you get onto those networks for a nominal fee, which uh, provides a lot of convenience. And then, you know, cellular mobile broadband tends to be driven from the cellular business model side and tends to involve a monthly subscription, but that's not the only type of subscription we're seeing. That's right. We're starting to see some pay-as-you-go or what we call session-based pricing models from some of the carriers who are offering this, this high-speed data connectivity. So what that means is, in addition to still having the ability to sign up for a one-year or two-year contract, analogous to a cell phone where you might sign up and, and get a bucket of minutes each month, now you can, you can effectively sign up for a day at a time and, and only pay for a day at a time instead of committing to a long-term contract. So it's actually very interesting to see uh, some of the carriers really starting to get creative in how they're and how they're pricing the service plans for the data communication. Are you saying then that you just get billed for what you use yeah. when you need it? What they do is it's similar to if you go to an airport, say, and like when you went to the hotel, right, and sign up for that nine ninety five, you put your credit card information in or you charge it to the room. It's the same way with, with the pay as you go for the, for the wide area now. You essentially go into a website, put in your credit card information, and you have 24 hours of access to use when and where you need it. So contrasting on a no couple other levels, when you use mobile broadband, it takes quite a bit of power 
to transmit to the nearest cell site. So from that perspective, mobile broadband tends to be higher power than, say, Wi-Fi, wireless LAN, or Bluetooth. Bluetooth, on the other extreme, tends to be very short distances, so the radio doesn't consume a lot of power. In terms of the cost of enabling these technologies in a notebook or other type of device, Bluetooth is intended, again, to be fairly inexpensive to integrate within a mobile device. Wi-Fi tends to be slightly higher, and mobile broadband even higher still because of complexity around the radio and also the power consumption part of it. But in the case of integrating these technologies into a PC, none of them are insurmountable in terms of the cost of enablement relative to the value that they provide the user. Yeah, and perhaps one final area of comparison between Wi-Fi or 802.11-based networks and a mobile broadband or a wide area network is really the the performance or, or the speed of the connection. You know, Alan talked about some of the, the throughputs that we're seeing on, on the local area side with B, G, and now N technology, and, and the throughputs are scaling dramatically. I think what a lot of people haven't realized yet is just how fast some of these cellular data networks are becoming. For folks who had early experience with some of the earlier generation technologies, which you know were comparable to like a, a dial-up modem mm-hmm. type access, yeah. it's very uh, encouraging to see some of the higher speed technologies that are being deployed by the carriers today, which truly offer you mobile broadband experience. And it's analogous now to getting things like cable modem or DSL-like service, again, in this wide area environment wherever you can make a cell phone call. Let's shift just for a second. My guess is that like any kind of new technology, there are people lurking in the bushes that are trying to steal identities, steal minutes, steal information, you know, and do malicious stuff. So security must be creeping in here somehow. Tell us a little bit about what are the essential security elements that are involved to make sure that people are protected as they go wirelessly. Principally, there's two major components, I think, of securing wireless networks. The first component is to authenticate the user device onto the network and vice versa, authenticate the network back to the end user. The second component is ensuring that all the signaling, all the data transfer between the user and the end destination is encrypted and not easily captured by some of these people lurking in the bushes. These three technologies all provide fundamental framework for authenticating between devices and encrypting the traffic. In the case of mobile broadband, that functionality is actually built into the cellular network itself. The encryption takes place as part of the air interface standard that happens between the mobile data device and the network. Additionally, though, on the mobile broadband side, it's important to incorporate and use a virtual private network, something that would encrypt the traffic not just across the airwaves from the device to the network, but encrypt the traffic all the way to the ultimate server or the ultimate, in the case of accessing a corporation, encrypt the traffic all the way back to that company. Two layers of encryption on on mobile broadband. In the case of Wi-Fi, similar thing takes place. You may have encryption being used in your home or, say, at your work, but a lot of users will then rely on VPN, virtual private networking technologies, layered on top of that to encrypt the traffic all the way back to the final destination. And one other point to make, uh, in the Wi-Fi or, or local area environment, it's incumbent upon the 
owner of that infrastructure to enable the encryption on the link as opposed to a wide area scenario with a carrier network where the carriers have enabled that encryption as part of the service. That's a good point. So when Wi-Fi was originally introduced several years ago and started gaining some traction, there were a number of awareness issues where users weren't turning on encryption, and in other cases, the first generation of encryption that was offered with wireless LAN had some vulnerabilities to it. But those things have been addressed in a large part. Then it's just a question of are they turning on, are they implementing the right feature set in ensuring a network is encrypted. In the case of Bluetooth, one of the things that is necessary around Bluetooth because there's hundreds of millions of Bluetooth-enabled devices out there. And it's important that people, for example, don't turn on their device so it's discoverable and people can search and find it. By turning off discoverability, it becomes invisible to would-be hackers. That The second thing is when you have connections between your personal devices, say your cell phone and your PC, your notebook, it's important to encrypt that traffic again between those two devices. The toolkit is there in many of the cases, and it's just a question of how that toolkit is used. And by and large, the mobile broadband case, that toolkit is largely used and employed by the cellular carrier themselves. So you're saying that mobile broadband already has the security turned on, but with the local area and personal area, consumers actually have to turn that on themselves. That's right. makes me wonder, I mean, you know, just as a regular PC user, whether people really even know how to do that. And that was what the industry, uh, by and large, struggled with uh, for many years and is still struggling with. But one encouraging aspect is when you start looking out there and searching on different networks that are available, say, on your street, what you find increasingly is a much higher percent of people are using encryption than several years ago. The other thing is the people that are making products, including ourselves, including Companies like Linksys, Netgear, those those types of people are making it easier and easier to set up access points or routers with security turned on. On the campus side, where you have a security manager, uh, a networking group, by and large, they're far more educated than they were many years ago on how to deploy a secure wireless LAN topology and how to ensure that rogue access is extremely difficult. Let's talk about the future. I get the fact that there's uh, there's personal area and there's local area and there's wide area, and it seems like there's very specific uses for them and very specific use models for them. What do you think we're going to see coming up in the future that will either make these better or easier or more useful? There's a couple of major themes, not completely unpredictable. First theme is faster and faster and faster. So all these technology categories are transitioning to using new radio techniques that provide higher bandwidth connections. And what that will roughly translate into is not only will you be able to synchronize, you know, email, get to web pages faster, but they'll also enable new usage models. For example, at some point in time, being able to do a video conference from your notebook driving down the highway, hopefully in the passenger seat, <laughs> um, at 60 miles an hour is certainly something you could do today in a very jittery sort of fashion. But in the future, future not being more than one or two years out, 
that will be a real practical application. So faster bandwidth. The second thing is we can expect costs to become more compelling, and, and we're not just talking about the cost of integrating those technologies into a device, but also the cost of using that technology, cost of uh, maintaining that technology, cost of subscribing to the service in the case of mobile broadband or, or Wi-Fi hotspots. The third major trend, I think, uh, which I've already hinted on, is wireless is going to evolve and encompass new usage models that we can't clearly see today. You know, there's other wireless technologies on the horizon that would allow us to do, for example, proximity authentication to our notebook or our device where you're just in, you know, you're just next to your notebook and it knows you're there and it immediately signs you onto the network. That's a technology that we might see in, in the very near or any Or any computer that yeah. you're near. Yeah. Another, another case in point is um, GPS. GPS is, is a wireless technology that is now starting to see a lot of adoption, not just in the automotive industry, but starting to find its way very broadly in cell phones. And we expect the same sort of uh, trend to happen essentially in the notebook. So the notebook not only can tell you how to get to some place, but it can use that location information to do smart things for you. So, for example, if you're doing a search on the web, you're, you're pulling up Google and you're trying to find something, it will sort that information based on the location relevance of it. We see um, quite a number of new and compelling usage models that will come out in the next couple of years. And so it's going to be fairly exciting to watch this unfold. It seems as though wireless really is a whole collection of technologies with lots of different uses. So I'm wondering, just as a conclusion, what are the main takeaways that you want people to remember from this podcast? What are the main things? I think first and foremost is, you know, at Dell, we view these technologies, these various flavors of wireless technologies, as complementary to each other. And what I mean by that is we, we don't necessarily see a wireless LAN technology competing with wireless WAN or mobile broadband. They're complementary in that the user can really use the technology that best fits the environment that they're in. In a Wi-Fi or in an office-based environment or a home-based environment, if you have a Wi-Fi network set up with the proper encryption, the proper security enabled, by all means use that. But when you find yourself in non-traditional environments, when you're at a customer location or when you're sitting on a plane and on a tarmac waiting for it to take off, that's where mobile broadband really shines because you have the ability to get that high-speed connection. You have the ability to be productive really wherever you are. So at the end of the day, I mean, they're complementary technologies, and what we're trying to do is, is enable as much of the technology as possible so that users can take advantage of what works for them in, this, in any situation that they're in. And on top of that, I think one, one key takeaway is that wireless essentially provides a lot of flexibility and convenience. And wireless provides the security, ease of use has come a long ways, and it's ready today to take advantage of. And, and we will expect wireless to continue to evolve. It's, it's by no means the end of, of the wireless story. It will continue to evolve and address new usage models, provide additional convenience and flexibility in the years to come. Thanks so much for your time, guys. This has really been informative. It's been fun. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Okay, guys, I get it. 
There's personal area networking like Bluetooth. There's local area networking like Wi-Fi. And then there's wide area wireless, for example, mobile broadband. And they're actually a collection of technologies that kind of do the same thing, but in different ways. Our next podcast will dive a little bit deeper into mobile broadband, since that seems to be kind of the broader business use. We'll find out the costs and different standards and which ones you might want to choose if you're traveling to Europe, for example. So join us again next week for another edition of Data Center of the Future podcast series sponsored by Dell. (laughs) 